0: To rock and roll with another hour of scotch hour. My name is Noah. I'm Jesse. All right, Jesse. So we have the new hardcore scotch that we're going to be reviewing tonight,
1: right? That's right. They say it's your taste buds, punked.
0: It has like a big churn.
1: Like <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> it has a big punk theme to it, if I remember uh, reading the box. That's There's like a lot seemed. of info in there. Yeah. And then after that, we got our shout outs uh, that we'll be doing and slash get it togethers along with our uh, uh, restaurant, which actually I forgot the name of it. <laughs> it's
1: a Trattoria Dionysia.
0: Trattoria Dionysia. Is that what you said? That's it. All right. And then our smarter challenge, which is HP uh, Lovecraft and his influence on literature, movies, TV shows, or whatnot.
1: Scotch Review. All right. Well, this is, I I literally believe, this is the newest addition to their Scotch lineup, the Ardbeg Ardcore. And as it mentions, taste buds punctured. Uh, uh, That's not fair for (laughs) the (laughs) light-pocketed. so uh at around 120 140 a bottle I think
0: you have to um, tax is like 140 so probably a little bit less than
1: that yeah so you don't want to go into this one either uh light at heart or light in the wallet
0: <laughs> <laughs> as Jesse likes to say there is uh no uh, no price value with Scotch or price doesn't matter or money doesn't From, matter
1: money is no object money's the no Skytower. object that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I I screw that up. (laughs) we have done multiple Ardbegs on our show at this point. The Ardbeg can uh, hit. The Ardbeg, we beastie, not so much. Uh, And we're both intrigued by this most recent variation. Uh, The box, I've got to admit, is fun. The
0: box is a lot of fun. It's
1: eye catching. It's fun. It's modern. uh, It's got all these little stories about the different characters involved in it. Punks, if you will. And you had mentioned that there were only three known punks on the entire Island of Isla. Um, and with that, you know, I guess they had like people who came over to look at (laughs) like tourists. that
0: would come over there to check them out to see the, the, uh, the Mohawks and stuff. I think that's what it says on the box.
1: They had a, they had a grunge band, uh, Colin Gordon, who is now the distillery manager, was part of a grunge band called Snail Bay. <laughs> snail Bay. Like, what is Snail Bay? Is that uh, my understanding? Is that's algae? Snails eat algae. It's got to be algae. So, is that a fancy way of saying we're algae? I,
0: I, I don't think so. I don't and, think. and I, I think they are also accounted for the only two places where graffiti uh, hit uh, Isla. There's like a, a rock and then like a building that both have like the letter A or something on
1: there. You know, it, it's somewhere on that box. It's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Lots, of, lots of literature. Well, what did you want to mention about Arbeg?
0: Uh, actually, I didn't really uh, take too many notes down about Arbeg since we talked about it uh, quite a few times previously. Uh, The one thing I will note, um, they do have tours there, but it seems like their tours aren't aren't really listed the same way as, like, some of these other distilleries that we talked about recently. And uh, the way Arbeg kind of does it, it's done by the season. So they have, like, one in March and one in the winter, one that looks like one in the summertime. Uh, The only times that they don't don't really do tours, and they mentioned it on their website, is when they have, uh, like, the few weeks that they're closed for the year. Um. But other than that, like there's really not much I I, I put down in my notes for, I mean, for we've, knowledge.
1: We've covered the basics. Isla, the island of Isla known for peat and smoke. Exactly. With that, though, this box, something not common to Isla, the light blue, the white, the yellow inside and out. Uh, it is a fun box, and it's also a pretty fun bottle. Also true to Artig, they go with that deep green. Uh, they just throw in their touches of light blue and yellow on
0: there yeah i was gonna mention like the glass bottle there does uh scream big,
1: yeah now they have got a zipper looking release here at the top of the bottle to take out the cork and sure enough if you catch it at the front of the zipper her pants come off like well they almost came off like a dream <laughs>
0: <laughs> looks like you're having to work for it
1: yeah uh, <laughs> That's, She's making you work for this one. Man, it's the two glasses of wine at the Italian restaurant. <laughs> you would think that would be a panty dropper <laughs> after,
0: that di- after that dinner.
1: Oh, I haven't even opened it and I can smell the peat. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they didn't do
0: a very good job with that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, the I problem was, like, the was is I was so uh, anxious to, to get the zipper off, I tore it. <laughs> oh, On the nose, she's pleasant. She's got lots of perfume here. That is a light, chill-filtered Scotch, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that looks like pear juice.
0: How many, uh, what's the ABV on this one? I think it's like 46%. 46.
1: Yeah, 46
0: 46. Okay. Man. So it's, it should be like one of the
1: stronger ones for us. It looks like the Pinot Grigio from dinner.
0: <laughs> it actually does look like the Pinot Grigio from dinner.
1: <laughs> you can, however, see, since it was non-chill filtered, some small little particulates in there. Uh, flavor yep. boosters, I'm going to call them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, cheers, and we'll go on to our... Uh, Warp Speed here. Cheers. Uh, the Artcore Scotch, I do like it. It gives me, uh, uh makes me uh, think a lot about the Art, uh, the Lagavulin 16. Um, and I probably wouldn't have placed that right at first until you mentioned something during our tasting session there. So thank you. That was a good call. Um, for me, when I first look at this, uh, Artcore, uh, when I think of something about like Artcore or whatever, I'm thinking like it's gonna be like. Hardcore, right? And I, I, I was gonna think I, I thought it was gonna be like a darker like, color, but it is a very pale color. And you're right when you first poured it out; it does remind me very much, almost like the same color that uh, that we had our, with our Pinot Grigio. Uh, so if I didn't know any better, uh, if I had this like in a wine glass and I wasn't really paying attention to the way it smelled, I probably would be like, "Oh, look, it's a Pinot Grigio," but no,
1: could be a fun prank to play on so Who's your Pinot until they smell it? <laughs> I mean. Um, wait till there are a couple drinks in Right
0: um, As far as my uh, As far as the bouquet goes um, I got like hints of tar Definitely like the the Typical Isla Pete type of smell So you get like that Band-aid or whatever Like some people might say Smell And some uh, I got some, some citrus which, which I believe is a more Grapefruity type of like Light citrus Smell to it Uh, when it came to my palate, um, once again, I get some, uh, citrus, some anise, which guy is that, some of that spiciness there, which then kind of leads into like ash and cedar and roasted barley. And then it finishes with a nice, like leather and smoke and charcoal flavors. And it's a great, I mean, if you like Isla type of like scotches, I think this really like, uh represents Isla very well. And um honestly like I mean for the cost value wise I think right now uh Lagavulin 16 is still like $104 a bottle versus this 140. Uh I still go to the Lagavulin 16 over this, but this is also another very tasty uh, bottle out of Isla that gives you that nice peat and that nice smoke and what you truly expect from a traditional like Single malt scotch, in my opinion,
1: yeah. For me, the color psh, this is a pale gold like this. Uh, this lady ain't seen the sun, or she's an albino. I don't know which one it is, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Could be hot, definitely gothic, right? Gothic,
0: <laughs> gothic, yes. Gothic. It's, it's <sighs> uh, definitely pale and albino ish
1: on the nose. I get definitely. There's a little sweetness there. It's a little bit of toffee to me. And I think that comes from, as they have mentioned, their black malt barley. I think that's where that's coming from. It's like a mixture of dark chocolate and toffee Um, sweetness. Now, what's very interesting to me... That doesn't come out in the palette at all to me. I get it on the nose, but nothing on the palette.
0: I agree exactly. And you talk about black barley. I would, I would expect something to come out darker. but yeah. This is like super pale. It's like the opposite.
1: <laughs> opposite day. All right. So on the palette for me, that citrus is kind of, you get the peat. Can't deny the peat and a little bit of smoke. Um, the citrus for me, though, is lime. It's actually lime that comes out. It makes me think of a gin and tonic. I'm like, hey, kind of sexy. Like, this might be, this, there might be a huge future. And it's not quite sure what it is. But I'm getting lime as the citrus again, the peat, a little bit of smoke, um, as I get closer to the finish, this is where I get that lime transcends into a very, it's almost a chalky charcoal, it dries out my mouth at the very end, all of a sudden, I'm like, mm, this lime's got my, my my mouth watering, and then all of a sudden, what's this chalk, and it's charcoal, it literally dries you out, it's a fun scotch. Um, I think the one, the greatest difference to me than this and the Lagavulin 16, which I agree with you, not just by because of price, the Lagavulin 16 is just a dream drink. That is like a Father's Day dream come true, right? And I think the flavor for me that comes out that's the difference there is that this doesn't have enough leather. That Lagavulin 16 has so much sexy leather on the finish. It makes me wanna lick it. It's time for our shout-outs. Hey, any shout-outs this week for you? Uh, You know, for me, it's really tough. It's really tough to have a shout-out right now in this very trying, turbulent time um, to any one individual. So I'm actually going to give my shout-out to The Average American. And good for you guys keeping it together. Let's not go further in debt. Let's, uh, like really adjust our spending. And this is going to be something new for a lot of individuals who, so far in their entire lives, have never had to really budget. Uh, but with inflation and everything else changing, if you haven't had a And I'm going to say this, there's two different sides, a minimum of an 8.6%. That's just the basic inflation increase in income in the last 12 months, you've gone backwards and yet you... probably finding it very easy still to go out to restaurants, Grubhub, everything else, do these things, lots of fun. Uh, But the real staggering statistic is that that 8.6 is well under reality um, when the average rent has gone up well over 20%, whereas the average car price has gone up over 20%. And they're saying that uh, some of the individuals, the economists are saying, yeah, if your pay hasn't gone up 17%, you're feeling it, you've gone backwards you better be budgeting and and managing your money more wisely so uh america uh, for those of you who have managed to do that so far great job uh c- please keep doing that for those of you that might need some help do some research it is going to you know st- put your boots on it's gonna hurt
0: it's con- it is going
1: to hurt we've been through this before yeah not everyone has so with a recession and oh there might be a recession with a recession uh, that we are currently, in. <laughs> it, it is a very unique whirlwind of unexpected events. Housing goes up and down, cars, transportation goes up and down, gasoline goes up and down, uh, food goes up and down. But really, the bottom line is everything goes up and down, but most people's salaries or wages.
0: I think you to, if you're looking at any, any point in time to study in history right now, you should be probably studying the Weimar Republic of Germany uh, and looking at what happened with their currency and the
1: hyperinflation
0: because i think we're on that
1: verge we yeah i, I don't even want to say it. i'm i'm praying i'm wrong <laughs> that's really what it is. hopefully we don't
0: get to that point because uh, they have like pictures of like people like wheelbarrows going, of yeah, money <laughs> wheelbarrows of money just to buy a <laughs> loaf of bread Why not? And a guy like that, like million dollar like marks and stuff like that at that point in time. So it got really ridiculous. So hopefully we don't get to that point, but that's a good shout out. My and
1: German supermodels were eating bread. Cause it's the only thing they could afford.
0: <laughs> my shout out goes to SCOTUS. Bread makes you fat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm giving my shout out to SCOTUS, uh, Supreme court of the United States for <laughs> a ruling in favor of the second amendment. Um, Overturning the uh, gun law, the gun law in New York, and also overturning Roe versus Wade.
1: That and one's a tricky one for you, man. That one kind of hurts. I'm not going to lie.
0: Well, here's the thing. The I if you really kind of like start setting about Roe versus Wade, the lady who like uh, who is Roe, I forget. Uh, she actually that was a fake name, and she pretended uh, she was like an actress or whatever. She pretended to be this person. And uh, later on it was found out that her name is like actually a really different name, and that she was playing a part in order to try to pass this Roe versus Wade law. Uh, but here's the main point here. The federal government and our constitution states that really if it's not, if it's not stipulated in the Constitution, then it goes to the states. So overturning Roe versus Wade, it does not say that people cannot have, Abortions and it's not taking a woman's right away from having abortions. It It just moves it back over to the states where it should be properly, anyways, and allows each state to decide whether or not abortions should be legal or not legal or whatnot. And in that case, this also brings into the account of our uh, of our country in general is that you vote by your feet. If you don't like the laws of a certain state, then you move to a different state. And honestly, it just goes back to the way it should be, and I, and I, and I like that about it. I, I can see where people are getting misled and why some people are having a hard time with it, and that's because they're watching too much mainstream media, and the mainstream media is not telling you the full truth. So I just say just go study what the Constitution is about and then learn about what the law is about and then understand that really that type of law should be done by each individual state.
1: I don't disagree with that part. I just think where it gets tricky is now that so many people might have to upend because they lived in less affluent, interestingly enough, less affluent areas where it's not legal back to more affluent areas, which is also very interesting to me state-wise, more affluent areas where it still is legal.
0: Really, what you're going to end up seeing is like uh, liberal people who want um, abortions moving to blue states and... Those who agree with pro life moving to red states, we'll find out. So, in any case, I'm giving the I'm giving the Supreme Court uh, the kudos for that. It takes a lot of balls in this days and age, this day and age, to actually hold true to what the morals are and what our history is all about, I and don't, what our constitution is. I, about. I don't.
1: I don't disagree with any of that. The one thing that was interesting, and this is as we're moving to our get it together's. Get it together, Biden. You're the one sitting here complaining about this. The, the moment it passed, talking about how this is doing so much harm. And I'm not saying it's not in some ways. Um, but he is actually the one who put the most recent judge in this court that helped overturn it.
0: <laughs> well, here's the other thing. If you really want to like blame, if you really want to like be upset about it, you really can't blame the Supreme Court either because really right now, uh, you have a Democrat majority by one in the Senate. You have a Democrat majority in the House. And you have a Democrat president. And if they really wanted to codify, make make the Roe versus Wade into a code, a U.S. code, they could have done it. They could have passed it in the House and the Senate and then had him ratify it and uh, and sign it into law. But they never did that.
1: Restaurant review.
0: What was the name of that restaurant again? Trattoria Dionisia. Trattoria Dionysia. All right, that I I love that place. I thought I mean, well, here I, I, it's got a, a lot of pros. It's got a lot of pros. I think there's a when you first walk in, it, dude. It,
1: outside it's is rough.
0: Outside is <laughs> rough because it is in a strip mall, so it doesn't look super nice on the outside. When you walk in, <laughs> um, it's still not like super not something you see like you expect for like a high-end Italian place or whatever it's still kind of stripped molly on the inside i mean i think for the the space that they had i think they did a good job of trying to make it look nice however like i think they should have done something with the uh ceiling because they still have like the uh i don't know what it was a cart but, but what's that what's that ceiling stuff called
1: fiberglass <laughs> I don't know what it is it's, you know it's like the little the cardboard rec- tiles
0: yeah the cardboard tiles are the rectangles and you pop them up and then you have like the fluorescent lights and honestly I think they should do something else different there because and change up their lighting because all they did is they took the fluorescent lighting that you see like in school with like that that tile ceiling and it looks like they colored it with brown paint or brown marker to try to give it the ambiance
1: that you need I'm guessing it was wood stain
0: uh, it could have been wood stain any case, I mean, if you take out all of that, um, not a bad looking place on the inside other than that, really. Uh, the weight the wait, the wait staff. Um,
1: Dude, that's a 50-50. That is a 50-50. Because
0: <laughs> I think our waitress was great. She was a 10. She was a 10. And then the other guy was like
1: a two. Yeah, the busboy. Not even a two. He was a one.
0: I think he I don't know. Was he a busboy or was he like? The, he brought
1: us butter with no bread.
0: But it's like he like helped serve other people. I think though.
1: he was our waitress's husband. That's the sad part. And he or dating it. her or something because they know. talked about him as a couple. A couple conversations we overheard. I don't know, but he
0: sucked. He was terrible, terrible, terrible. And uh, so I think if you get her, which her name is Gabriella, uh, ask for her because she, you'll get like good service. Don't get the guy because the guy is awful. So her, I'll give her a nine. Him, I'll give him like a two. And I and I, if he was our waiter the whole time, I would
1: not have left a, a tip. Yeah, that's how bad he was. He's, he's, no, was not wrong. <laughs> he was he's terrible. Not, he was terrible. He's a uh, zero to me. Yes, you don't bring half of the bread and butter. You bring <laughs> the bread and the butter. Yeah, you don't know, just you bring butter and that's it. How do you screw that up?
0: <laughs> well, and then there that table behind us. What did you say he did to those people? Do you have like out of like? There's probably like five groups in there already, and then this group comes in of two people, and he's like, "Do you guys have a reservation?" Yeah, that's the only time he asked that question.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and it was interesting because they were a Hispanic couple, and I'm like, "There's twenty five tables and twenty of them are still open. What's the problem? how How are you asking this couple that?" i guessing racist I couldn't believe it <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't believe that either when you told me that I didn't hear it, but I was paying attention either um,
0: Alright, so for the food I'm going to give it a solid 9 Maybe <laughs> eight and a half, eight and a half nine. Because the bread was good with the butter uh, The butter had like, it was like a garlic butter with uh, I think we determined it was uh, parsley
1: I'm thinking So it didn't quite have a basil flavor to me Maybe oregano, but most likely parsley to me Italian parsley
0: and uh, with the bread, it tasted pretty good. And then, and then from there, we had the bruschetta, which this bruschetta didn't have the mozzarella, so it was just like garlic, tomato, basil, olive oil, and uh, toasted bread, and it was delicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Followed by something that was even more delicious. Which was the Italian meatballs they oh, were, they were so good
1: They were a win A huge win Up that till was a, then That was the first 10 From me It just
0: kind of, kind of kept going up And up And up And up And then we got our dishes And my dish was Pollo Cacciatora I think is what it's called <laughs> I don't know I probably butchered the name Picture of it the chicken day <laughs> But it had uh, It had sausage And uh, red sauce uh, Pasta And chicken the chicken was really tender, and actually, uh, if it, like if it's just a chicken dish, I probably would have been like, yeah. But like, I think with the sauce with the chicken, that's what made it really work. Along with that sausage that they had, the Italian sausage that went with it, and overall, I thought it was a really great dish. Um, so once again, I was very pleased with it. And then for dessert, I had the uh, cello cake, not as good as Mama Louise, still decent, but not as good. It had more of a cake type of feel to it, rather where Mama Louise's had more of a tiramisu type of taste, uh, feel to it. And, uh, so like, ter- like, you know how tiramisu has like more of like cream cheesy type of like smooth taste?
1: Yeah, very... Liquidy, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Less, more layers ultimately.
0: Yeah. And that's how like Mama Louisa's was. This was more like a cake type feeling. Um, uh, So I think overall I'm going to give it a 8.5 on the food. I'm going to give our waitress a 9. Our food 8.5. Their overall like atmosphere of the place probably like a 6. And I'm going to end up with an 8.
1: Your math is truly dizzying. (laughs) It's all (laughs) over the board. No, I I don't disagree. We driving up, it is not sexy. It's not. It's just simply not. On the outside, like if you want to take a hot date there, someone you really want to get a good feel a good experience you probably just blindfold them until you get to the inside uh, the outside <laughs> is at best a five for a restaurant scene um, the insides probably a seven and the inside is not bad but it's not again it's just not sexy the bar was hopping with a bunch of people who were clearly regulars and it was all about the happy hour for them which was not outstanding by the way uh, one thing on the website not the same thing in reality which I I get they mentioned that the prices and costs have gone up. Just update your website. That's all you got to do. Take a couple minutes, fix that. And, um, but man, yeah. um, When we first got seated, we got water and butter. And then a little bit later, we got bread and butter, and the bread and butter was great uh, as far as bread and butter goes. Now, yeah, on the food scale, is was a six for sure. Um, good. That's good for bread and butter. That's like chips and salsa, and you're trying to have that be your whole meal. Uh, a six is a good score. Then we went to the bruschetta and the meatballs. The bruschetta was absolutely a seven. Uh, the meatballs, to me, were a nine. Uh, we had some pinot grigio with this as we were going through the menu. Dishes. Uh, Noah had a balsamic salad. I had a Caesar salad. Uh, I think you won with the balsamic salad. My Caesar salad wasn't bad, but the Caesar dressing for my salad just didn't have that kick. Now I don't know that anyone ever will after the Brown Palaces version of Caesar salad, where they replace the sardines with uh, avocado. That's just the best damn Caesar dressing on the planet to this day. I've never had one even come close. Uh, so this was was pretty good but then i had uh, the vitello saltimbocca, so good oh man veal clearly hammered to death twice <laughs> nice and tender covered with spinach now why spinach i don't know it was good though i'm not complaining i think the one thing it did do was help separate the prosciutto and the mozzarella uh, when the mozzarella melted from just becoming a hot mess on top of the veal Uh, with these layers and anyone who knows me knows I love a great Barolo. My dish was in a Barolo uh, red sauce and it was fantastic. Now this dish was a 10. Um, This dish uh, I was $30 and I would have paid $60 for it if the environment, the atmosphere, and the service were always going to be a win. I wouldn't hesitate to pay $60 for this dish. Um, it's something I could see on a Il Mialino menu, uh, but the difference is I'll pay $60 in Il Mialino, not $60 here because of the environment and the service. That is the biggest difference. Uh, as you mentioned, Gabriella, uh, our waitress, man, she was perfect. The the other guy was a nightmare. Every interaction I had, unless it was a female, uh, he treated everyone like Crap. he didn't want to be there. He was yep. on his phone 95% of the time, uh, yep. not paying attention. Yep. It was unbelievable, actually. It was literally like, this isn't Taco Bell, bro. This, <laughs> we didn't walk out of there cheap. It wasn't a $200 dinner, but it wasn't a $10 dinner. It wasn't a $20 dinner. It was a pricey meal. And he does. I hope to God she doesn't give him any of that tip.
0: Uh, yeah, hopefully not because I think what I think our meal total probably after tip
1: between the two of us was 150 like, bucks, 140, 150 yeah. bucks.
0: Yeah, and once again, price
1: uh, good meal. He was not worth it.
0: Money's no object in Scotch hour.
1: Yeah, that's the flaw is <laughs> that we go and do these things and then we're like, meh, it's only 150 bucks.
0: <laughs> meh. <Yeah. laughs> but hey, at least we're taking the hit for you guys. So that way, if you do go to the restaurants you know what to expect
1: yeah i know what to expect so for me am i taking a first date there if you're about quality food and not about the environment yes if you can get a waitress and not the waiter yes if you get stuck with him and you want a sexy environment it's over it's over yeah you're done uh so for me ultimately environment is and this is a tough one because i I always we've talked about this i always really consider the italian restaurant something i want to be sexy for me the environment was a six the service because of gabriella was a 10. (laughs) um i'm literally taking the other guy i'm just throwing him to the side and pretending he didn't exist because if he didn't it was a 10. um so environment a six service a 10 for me the food overall was a nine that's crazy because it wasn't cheap but it also wasn't ridiculously expensive now i did ask her what she recommended as i also finished with the limoncello cake i wasn't disappointed i it's not i mean mama louise definitely the best limoncello cake i've ever had uh, and it was not that, but overall, food was a nine. Um, go there with friends, absolutely go there with a date. Yes, just make sure she's not expecting something sexy.
0: So, overall, man, are you gonna be like me with an eight out of an overall? Cause like you're all over I'm the board, like seven five. I
1: know it is literally all over the board. It was crazy because I don't expect food that good from a place that's across <laughs> the strip <laughs> off from a gun shop. <laughs> Or next to a bagel shop that closed and looks like a, like a, uh, I don't know why a bagel shop looks like a daycare center, but it did. It was weird. Probably because
0: the artificial turret that's there.
1: I don't know. It was all weird. Like there was so much potential and then what is going on? It was discombobulated environment is a great word for it. Um, and then you mentioned even them, I think they've been there a while, uh, but the atmosphere might be time just to sexy it up a little. You know, um, and it's going to be tough because I get the environment, I get the the economic environment, making it super challenging. Um, if you got the, the the resident locals coming in uh, and they're your consistent customers and they're doing your business, good for you. Otherwise, maybe uh, make it sexy. Smarter
0: H.P. Lovecraft and his influence on our society. Ooh. Uh, And is there anything you want to mention first uh, from what you found about H.P. Lovecraft? I
1: mean, talking about anyone who is like, who's this? Howard Philip Lovecraft, born, as you reminded me, 1890. I thought it was eighteen eighty, but it was 1890. Um, So we're talking about a hot minute ago. And then (laughs) passed away. 1937 at the age of 46 and change um, which is pretty young all things considered and i don't want to steal all of your thunder because i know you did a lot more research than i did about the hot topics of his life so why don't you dig in
0: all right so for those of you who don't know who hp lovecraft is he's actually uh probably more famous after his death postmortem than he was, uh, why he was alive. Uh, so he's originally from Providence, Rhode, uh, Rhode Island. Um, at the age of 16, um, he, uh, started writing for a newspaper, writing ast- astrology, uh, not astrology, but astronomy columns. Cause he was really into astronomy. He did drop out of high school. Um, his dad, uh actually went into an insane asylum um uh, when he turned age three died five years later so at that point he lived with his mom and her family and then in 1919 when he was roughly like in his early 20s his mom went into the insane asylum and died two years later so for most of his life he was haunted by the fact that maybe that there's was something uh, wrong with him and that he would go insane and die in the insane asylums as well. Uh, even though he didn't finish high school, he was a very well-educated man. Uh, he did read Latin and Greek. Uh, so he was a very good student while he was in school. And obviously that's how he became a writer. Um, while he was uh, age 16, he also joined a uh, the amateur... Uh, um, what is it called here? thought I had it written down in here, but it was like an amateur uh, like newspaper group or writing group, and uh, he ended up meeting his future wife um, with this group, and her name was Sonia Green, who is Jewish. And if you don't know anything about H.P. Lovecraft, he was actually a very racist dude. He did not like... He was very anti-Semitic. He didn't like Italians. He didn't like blacks. And when he married... Sonia Green, who happened to be Jewish, and the only reason why he was okay with her is because they weren't really a practicing Jewish family.
1: How do you not like the Italians? I get the rest. No, I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Um, Apparently, he's, like, pro-wasp. He only wanted America to be for the wasps, which I'm guessing that's, like, what, the Irish and English and stuff like that? I'm not really sure.
1: I thought there were little bugs that flew around. Yeah, you know.
0: Any case, uh, he like his, like, most, like normal point of his life is when he actually like was married and lived in new york but he that was like his most miserable time in his life as well because he hated new york because of all the intermingling of racial uh racial uh couples and stuff like that and even though like racial couples weren't like a really huge thing in the 20s and 30s and stuff like that while he was alive he was one of those people kind of like if you really study like uh, abraham lincoln and stuff like that Where they wanted to send all the blacks back to Africa. He was kinda like that. He wanted all the blacks to go live like in their own like area. He wanted the Jews to stick with their own group, Italians to stick with their own group. And it wasn't like so he was like racist, but he it's not like he was like one of those racists who wanted to kill everybody. He's just one of those racists, like, just stay with your own group any case so that kind of gives us a little bit about him but he was like really super into uh science and astronomy and stuff like that and uh he wrote like over 70 pieces of work and um i guess that kind of takes us to like uh some of his influences so that kind of gives us a little bit of his background there um any uh influences that uh, came to your mind in your research
1: uh, no, I'm just like stuck on the fact that this guy didn't like the likes of say Sophie Lauren. How how I don't
0: know. I don't know how. Don't know how. Well, all right, well obviously Sophia Lauren wasn't alive when he was when he was
1: right? I don't even care. How about Monica Bellucci?
0: Was she alive then? I don't even care.
1: <laughs> he was all about the future. Isabella Rossellini. <laughs> Anita Pollenberg, Like, I don't get it. Anyway, sorry, my own personal thing. <laughs> I'm part Italian, so I don't get it either. But yeah. Howard, you had some problems. Probably should have been in an <laughs> asylum for not liking the other races. And, and uh, the difference is sexy to me.
0: I honestly think probably in that time and age, though, I think that's kind of a normal a normal thing because we didn't even talk about it with our grandparents. Some of our grandparents were probably, like, maybe not the most... Accepting groups of people,
1: I think one thing to really consider is that most likely Howard Philip Lovecraft was a curmudgeon, and he was going to complain about any goddamn thing after two weeks. So you meet Monica Bellucci, uh, Sophie Loren, and you got the sexiest lady of her time on your side, and two weeks later, you're not going to leave her because you're not a total idiot, but you're a curmudgeon, so you're just going to complain. There's so much work. (laughs) Oh, my God, you want another glass of wine? No. You want me to say hello in the morning and kiss you goodnight? No. What? There's 100 guys at your front door lined up to do any of that for, her, idiot. But, no, I I think for me, um, he did have a huge impact that isn't always understood. And for me, I think that comes from his belief in cosmicism. So cosmicism being the mixing of races, particularly alien races. So not so much Americans and Irish or Irish and Italian and Italians and Spanish, but more so Martians and humans or Venetians and humans uh aliens and humans and really the impact he ultimately basically started with that has led to movies that are still coming out today
0: yeah you make a good point there and he uh I, I think a lot of it's also known as like cosmic horror too. I think is what they kind of h o
1: r, not w h o. Yeah, we're not talking about <laughs> horrors. We're talking about horror,
0: cosmic uh, horror. Cosmic horror. Um, so even though he like died pretty young uh, in the 1960s <laughs> and 70s, did
1: I screw? Did I mess up? Did I miss something here? It, cosmic horror or cosmic horror? <laughs> horror, horror, horror. horror. <laughs> am, I not, am I saying it correctly? No, you're saying it absolutely right. Okay, it's just that they're the same thing, <laughs> two different meanings. <laughs> sounds exactly the same.
0: Man, give me like a <laughs> make me question myself. Anyways, by the time he died, a lot of his admirers and uh, colleagues uh, gathered his lot of his work and stuff, and started publishing it. And that's when he started gaining more fame and stuff. And to your point with the cosmic stuff, Uh, when he wrote, he really kind of decentralized human beings, and he saw really humans as being very insignificant uh, compared to the rest of the cosmos. So, you know, like, I think for those of us who've probably grown up in the United States or have any kind of, like, maybe Christian background, it's more human-centric where, you know, God created us, and so we're a lot more, involved in like we have a much greater impact but like his writings he really just decentralized humans and really it's a very minimal impact and i think what made uh, made like a lot of his uh writings scary per se or in that horror genre was the fact that he uh for his time And because of his uh, knowledge of science, he tried to make it like anywhere between 90 to 99% real and anywhere from 1% to 10% uh, like unknown. And he really kind of hid like the monsters or the aliens and didn't give like a full description of what they were. Um, Now, one of his most famous kind of like monsters or whatever from one of his writings is the is, uh, Kalulu, uh, the infamous Kalulu from the call of Kalulu. And he is known to have like, kind of like a squid or octopus face with tentacles and claws and wings and stuff like that. So when you're saying like he uh, had a lot of influence on, on movies and stuff, you would see Kalulu in the pirates of Caribbean with Davy Jones. And, uh, he also was the first one to write about the history or background of the
1: Necronomicon. Who doesn't love Evil Dead <laughs> and Army of Darkness? Awesome movies. Right? Cult classics. They are cult classics. Ash versus the Evil Dead. Yes! Oh, I love that series, Ash <laughs> versus the Evil Dead. That's so crazy funny. He's got that body on him. He's yeah. looking too... Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, if, for those of you guys who've never seen... Army of Darkness or uh, Evil Dead or Ash versus the Evil Dead. The main book there is the Book of the Dead, which is called the Necronomicon. And he's (laughs) supposed to go get the Necronomicon. And he screws up because he goes up there and he's like, he's supposed to say whatever kind of like chant for the Necronomicon. And when he comes up to the Necronomicon, he's like, the Necro...
1: (laughs) 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 And he just screws everything up. (laughs) He's got his gun. This is my boomstick. Any of you medieval fucks? (laughs) give me some sugar baby (laughs) first you want to kill me now you want to
0: (laughs) uh so that's a really great uh influence there if you do like a uh evil dead and uh and all that that's uh that's a pretty good one here also another really good influence so happens to come in the comics i think i mentioned this to you but with batman arkham asylum is actually named after a fictional city that he created in one of his stories called Arkham, Massachusetts. Um, I never knew that. Um, I was listening to uh, Coast to Coast AM uh, with uh, the guest host of Ian Punkett, uh, and that's where I learned that part out there. I'm, I'm just dropping Coast to Coast AM just so I can write it off.
1: Nice, I like that. <laughs> I was listening to Eminem. M. <laughs>
0: I mean, if you never, like, listen to Coast to Coast AM, they do talk about weird stuff all the time on there. <laughs> Aliens, UFOs, uh, Bigfoot, HP uh, Lovecraft, among other things. <laughs> um, so some of the other people that he uh, influenced uh, was uh, Guillermo del Toro with the making of Hellboy. Um, you get The Mummy um, with The Book of the Dead and some other things in there. Um, did you ever see the old horror movie Reanimator?
1: It's been a long time since I rock and rolled, but yes.
0: Okay, so the, re-an- the Reanimator is actually his story.
1: Reanimated.
0: <laughs> it's a cult classic. It's a pretty good uh, horror movie. There, if you've never seen it, um, but here's a here's a one that you might know uh, quite a bit about. But True Detective first season, um, absolutely. That, yeah, they had a big influence with H.P. Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to mention about that one or
1: Uh, true detective was good. I think for that one, for me, that goes more of, uh, this dark tale, uh, more like the Necronomicon than alien cosmicism but uh, yeah that one's different I don't necessarily see when I think about him and what he did his work impacting that the same as I do as you mentioned uh, Carpenter's The Thing the remake of the movie oh, the, thing. the Thing yeah. now that absolutely to me speaks his word where what is this is it half human yes ultimately you realize this thing is morphing as it's going along um, and that absolutely speaks to what he said. One thing that struck me very interestingly is when you mentioned that he looked at anywhere from 90 to 99% of reality and one to 10% of fiction in his mind. But uh, Ultimately, I don't think, I think that's what he told people so that they were more comfortable with it. The truth of the matter is, most almost everything that he's written in one way, form, or fashion has come true. We have had our presidents of multiple nations come out and tell us aliens are real. We've had all these different things happen. And these are the things he was writing about the possibilities of, uh, for example, blending genes. Jurassic Park and reanimating or creating new species, new versions, new aliens, morphing, uh, misgenerations, uh, misgenerations, uh, creating new beings by blending too.
0: Yeah, that's you made a really good point there. And, um, going back here a little bit to True Detective, uh, when you go into there, you, they do talk about like, like the, uh, one of them, I guess, like the main, driving force there was, like, the, the kind of, like, old god or entity that they said was the Yellow King and stuff like that. Bloodletting, things like that. Yeah, and that was all part of, like, his uh, his story, one of the stories that he wrote, or multiple of them. And um, another thing you brought up, John Carpenter, The Thing, yep. uh, and that was actually part of, like, a three-movie series that kind of really focused on... Um, on H.P. Lovecraft's work, the other two were *Prince of Darkness*, which I've always loved that movie. When I was a kid, uh, I think that's the one where they—I think they go into a church, and then like they're like the—they uh, the, uh, go into a church, and there's like some kind of like liquid or something going on in there, and like uh, the devil's trying to kind trying to come through from another from another dimension. And then there's the *Mouth of Madness*, I think is what it's called. It's the third movie in that series. Yeah, *Mouth of Madness*. I haven't seen that one in a really long time, so I don't. I can't really talk about that one because I don't really remember it that well. That well,
1: dude. Prince of Darkness is a good movie. I don't know about The Mouth of Madness either, but looking at Prince of Darkness, I remember that, and that is pretty. Twi- 1987, though, yeah, bro. A, the yeah. special effects were terrible. Then they were awesome. <laughs> but it's kind of like revisiting Scott Pilgrim versus the World <laughs> and realizing, wow. What would this movie be if you remade it now? What could it be? and it's still a great movie Prince it is darkness is a struggle.
0: <laughs> I think the reason why I remember that movie so much is because of the Asian guy who's like in the uh he's kind of like the fuck up look while well, he's messed up looking Asian guy <laughs> that was in uh, <laughs> that was in the uh that Kirk russell movie um uh, Something China.
1: Big Trouble in Little China. China. How did I, you forget about Big Trouble and Little China? I didn't forget I knew <laughs> the
0: movie. I just forgot the title. Whatever. Not, yeah. <laughs> uh anyways, uh one of another big influencer uh that he influenced was uh Stephen King. I can see that. Um Stephen King said that when he was a young kid, he found one of the books from H. P. Lovecraft in his dad's library. And after reading that, he said that he was home. And if you look at kind of like a the series on Hulu called uh, Castle Rock. Um, A lot of the area in that New England type of area that Stephen King has written about, that's where a lot lot of his stuff happens or occurs, is very similar to the New New England towns that were made up by H.P. Lovecraft where a lot of things occur. So there's a a lot of correlation right there between Stephen King and uh, H.P. Lovecraft. He also has... um, Alan Moore, he influenced... uh, He did the graphic novels of The Watchmen and V for Vendetta. Mm -hmm. As well as... um, I was going to mention Dungeons & Dragons. So games, tabletop games. A lot of the characters from Dungeons & Dragons uh, and the scenarios that they used in the beginning were like HP Lovecraft influenced. As well as video games from... um, Hidaki Miyazuki called the Bloodborne series. Um, they did that. And then another one here is with I don't know where if this really falls underneath the artists or under movies, but H. R. Geiger and his drawings of the alien for them for the alien series. He was heavily influenced by HP Lovecraft.
1: Also makes sense. And I would say as far as all the series considered here, um, the alien and predator series to me show the biggest impact. And again, much like the thing in Alien, Aliens, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you have these beings that start out as eggs, lay an egg, and ultimately morph into a cross being that cosmicism takes effect and they become uh, something better than one, but taking the best of both. And I think that's what I really, really liked about the remake of Predators uh, is when they showed this group and two different predator factions one trying to be the naturalist uh staying true to their genes and the others continually trying to evolve much like the aliens did and coming up with these monster uh, predators that were twice as tall as the regular ones Uh, but you got to really ask like is one right is one wrong we all understand one side but at the end of the day if you're trying to take over the universe you want the best of the best
0: right I think it's really weird like how he's written like over 60 to 70 pieces of work and he grew up poor and he pretty much died poor and but if you look at his influence across so many genres like like you got the horror genre in general but you got tabletop games, video games, movies, literature, art, uh, TV shows. He's influenced our culture very greatly. Not even our culture, but like... Cultures. Cultures. Like you got like basically the American, you got Japanese, Chinese, like some of the other places. And it's amazing how much more his work has influenced people after he's died.
1: That's common with a lot of these people. The other thing I'll tell you, or I want to tell you, is uh, mention and, and remind you, you probably saw this as well. Actually, when he was very young his family was super affluent and it wasn't until after his dad passed and his dad's parents stopped giving the money, so to speak, and he was living with his mom, that things got tough. I think this is where the true art comes in with Howard Philip Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft um, with so many artists and so many great people is that they grow up with these insecurities based on events and things like that. Like everything's good until it's not. And the tragedy is, had things gone the other way, say he was poor until he was eight years old and then became affluent, he wouldn't remember the poor years. What he doesn't remember is the affluent years. Uh, But there were still glimpses, there are, in in those things in his work. And... Really, I think that also shows when I think of it psychologically, you see it as someone who's like, man, I wish I could morph back into something between these two worlds. I'm not asking to be the super rich a-hole, but I want to be somewhere in between poor and rich. I don't want to be suffering. I want to be well. Finding that happy median, again, it makes perfect sense as a curmudgeon. He got the likes of Mark Twain, also not so much in cosmicism, but also a brilliant genius um, writer amongst other things. And so many people actually that I have known personally where their childhoods, there they saw both.
0: I think you make a really good point there because no one who reads Latin and Greek... I'm totally poor. Right.
1: (laughs) Exactly. But um it, it is one of those things where, man, you get a taste of both sides, you appreciate more in life, and you understand. And and this is weird to think about, but you almost understand and appreciate the essence and the essential base for. Blending, And not everyone's going to like that. And he himself hated it. <laughs> but at the end of the day, that's what he's writing about. Different right. races, aliens and non-aliens blending. And it absolutely is curious, but absolutely also psychologically makes perfect sense for it, curmudgeon. Yeah.
0: And some of his works, too, he talks uh, like they talk about like, um I'm not sure which, which pieces of work it is, but. I know it's like in uh, Arkham, and then yeah, I think the other one's called, uh, the other town's called Innsbruck or something like that. Um, but, anyways, they're both in Massachusetts, I think. And, uh, but the problem is, like in these towns, half the people are like normal humans, and the other half are like aliens or some other kind
1: of things. I going think on that's them. at the Mountains of Madness. Is
0: it the ma- I okay, think so. Mountains of Madness? Okay. <laughs> and, 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 the, and it's kind of weird because you think about that, in, like, here, here's I'm going to tie this back into the X Files again because, like, I've been on a big, huge X Files kick. But, like, you know, when you look at like Scholar, uh, Scully and, and Mulder, uh, Mulder's like a big, you know, trying to like find out this like, whole alien conspiracy, which I think you can almost tie this into he H.P. Can. Lovecraft, uh, Lovecraft because, like, we have like he, like, he discovers that there are aliens among us and they, like, they act and look like humans, but they're not humans and stuff like that and I, I mean that kind of fits into into that storyline
1: too it does for I'm, sure. I'm
0: sorry i had to throw in x-files like I, i'm like i just i'm in season nine now and there's only two more seasons left so i'm almost done dude the last two seasons are like they're like 10 episodes each so i should be done here shortly
1: out of curiosity are millennials known to binge watch
0: <laughs> <laughs> i don't
1: know I think they are, aren't they? I'll bet they are. <laughs> I, I, dude, I struggle to watch four movies in a weekend, but I do it for my kids.
0: <laughs> Here's the thing: like, I don't know what, like, I have kind of, I, I read this, I realize this after probably Netflix came out or whatever. But I have an addictive personality where, like, if there's a TV show I like, I like have to binge watch it. <laughs> and I know you have a. I know you have a. You have a little bit of that in you, too.
1: Because uh, when, we, when we
0: open up a scotch, it doesn't last. <laughs>
1: yeah, there, there are these different pieces. Man, that's just science, by the way. <laughs> I hate to say that. It's because science has proven that stuff doesn't last. I wish science literally proved the longer the bottle isn't fully drinking, the better the scotch goes. But the science literally shows, man, once you're past the halfway mark, you are lucky if you got six months before that scotch <laughs> is... <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm and just giving you everything. No, no, I'm you're sure. good.
1: You're good because I think this is my struggle is that I want the best. Oh, yeah? I'm not saying people don't want the best. I want the best to the point where I will go extra miles in, in multiple directions to get the best. And if that means I've got one week to drink a bottle of scotch.
0: You might as well do it.
1: She's gone in a week. <laughs>
0: Hey, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, honestly, that's, like, some of these scotches, though, to your point, like, we've tasted them. Like, they've, like, sat around for, like, a couple months to half a year, and they don't taste the same as they do when we first open them, so.
1: And unfortunately, none of them have been better.
0: Like, <laughs> No, none of them have gotten better over, over this the like, time.
1: This tastes like rotten dog turd water. <laughs>
0: there's been some that tasted it pretty good the next day, but, like, like Even a, a week month week down. Later. But, yeah, like, a week later, a month later, no, not as, not as good. All right, I think um, like do you have anything else you want to say about H.P. Lovecraft? I, I mean, I just think he's had a, like a lot of influence in some of our literature and stuff like that, which I think is great.
1: I have one question for you. Sure. What made you want to cover this subject? Um, like, where did you first learn about H.P. Lovecraft, and where did your appreciation grow from? Because I think this is important um, to really start to consider and revisit these things, uh, even for our audience to consider what made you guys. Who you are. And I, I agree. There are certain things that I think of, including my next subject for next week, um, where I'm like, man, yeah, that was 1992. I remember it.
0: Okay, so HP Lovecraft never really entered into my radar or into my sphere until True Detective Season 1. And um, going setting into, like, doing, like, uh, as you know, like I, like, I first started a different podcast which only has like probably four episodes in uh, four or five episodes and is a little bit more of like in conspiracy space, uh, conspiracy type of like a um, podcast that dealt with TV shows and movies. Um, and my very first one had to do with uh, uh true detective. And so I did a little bit of a deeper dive. So I ended up doing a lot of research and found a lot of information about HP Lovecraft and the influence in that, in that TV series. And that's, kind of like where I first kind of got introduced to HP Lovecraft and that'd be kind of a, a good topic to eventually cover sometime in our podcast. And when we came across this uh, particular bottle, it seemed like a fun and quirky type of bottle uh, or scotch that HP Lovecraft would kind of fall into the quirkiness of it. Um. If I were probably to have read the box fully, I probably would have gotten something along like the lines of like the influence of like punk rock or something. But uh, in any case, um, I just thought with the box um, from the minimal stuff that I saw from it when I first picked it up, I thought HP Lovecraft would be kind of an interesting subject to go along with the scotch
1: so it's interesting so you're talking just under a decade ago is when you first really considered hp love yes so for me for my next smarter challenge uh, is actually going to be a movie review and we can take it you can take it in any direction you want to the history um the after effects many different things uh this one will be easy to remember blade runner the original blade runner omg yeah. i love blade runner dude right so uh, interestingly enough, Harrison Ford, when he was doing this movie, didn't want to do it. He hated it. He was a jerk on set. So without re- removing uh, more future data from this review, uh, Blade Runner, the impacts it's had on our lives since then, how it got I just jizzed
0: my pants, dude.
1: Sorry. All right, man. Well, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Gonna get you a paper towel <laughs> and a blow dryer no, seriously, Don't like Blade yourself.
0: Runner. Blade Runner is an awesome topic, dude. So I, I just I couldn't no, contain myself. I, to I,
1: I agree. Uh, contain a little bit, but so with that, we've had this long string of different scotches, and for the Scotch for Blade Runner again, the original Blade Runner, we can bring up the remake. Uh, this is the Ben Riach Smoky 12. We've done the 10, the Smoky 10, the 12. And now we're going to do the Smoky 12. Smokey. And with that, and I say we do the Emerald Isle for our restaurant review. We go down there. It's a little bar. It's been around forever. We finally go watch a little sunset and uh, talk about Blade Runner.
0: Can we also bring in, like, uh, the other elements of Blade Runner, too? Like, the, yeah. the the new Blade Runner and then also the animated series? Yeah.
1: Anything you want. My whole point, though, uh, really for me is to revisit the original Blade Runner because it absolutely changed, much like uh, so many movies. Well, it uh, is like
0: probably like one of the most renowned sci-fi movies that kind of like changed the whole genre.
1: I think it is and an, you know way down the road um, you see other huge advancements but yeah it's uh, considered one of the greats and honestly if you once you know Harrison Ford was miserable filming this and didn't want to be in it you can see it in the movie um, quite the opposite of Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne when they take that next level Elevation and next step into changing the science fiction movie world you
0: know it's kind of funny you say that because he i think he was more than willing to do the sequel
1: oh yeah once he got all those awards and stuff <laughs> he's like this is cool. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's interesting because there are so many articles out there how he was miserable. He didn't want to do it. It was below him. Literally, that's what he told the directors and the producers. This movie's below me because he had such a big head after doing the original Star Wars. Um,
0: that makes sense. I, I but that movie is like an incredible sci-fi movie. It's like it's probably one of like it's like a, a pinnacle. Um, I guess, or whatever for sci-fi movies.
1: Absolutely. it. Yeah. It's it's, I mean, it's, it's like you see its impact even in the Marvel movies when well, they go to. Yeah.
0: Different- <laughs> and here's the thing though. There's like, you know how there's like like 10 different versions of the original movie. Like they have like the, the final cut, the, the director's, director's cut, final cut, the director's cut, the remake. It's like, which one is actually the cut cut that I really need to watch. But they're like, they're like, there's literally like ten different cuts. It seems like
1: watch whichever cut you want. I'm going with the American. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good question, though. I mean, can a human Which really have? Can a can a human really have a love affair with a replicant and have children? That's a good question to approach next episode.
1: <laughs> On the next episode of Scotch Hour, we're going to try to make a baby.
0: <laughs> Humans and replicants. <laughs> All right. Um, anything you want to say to the people before we go? No, sir?
1: please continue to drink responsibly, much like we do. In other words, drink and do not drive in most cases. And with that, uh, please give us feedback. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, If you have a scotch you'd want us to try, and if you want to be on the show, give us a shout out. You can contact us. Uh, Donate. Hit the little link at the bottom right below on there where it says to give us a dollar a month. Um, And then that is the easiest way to get invited to movie reviews where we rent out theaters and do a multitude of other things coming. Do you have
0: an idea for the next one?
1: Man, I want to do Bullet Train, but I know we're doing something for Mission Impossible. Uh,
0: Mission Impossible is not until 2023.
1: Yeah. I know. Dark Reckoning, you know, episode one. Um, but I really am still trying to arrange Bullet Train. And that's in August? Dude, I think that's three weeks away. Four weeks away. Yeah, we got... Wait, like. Can we flip that? What do you mean? Can we do that? I mean, I think we can make it work. Give us a couple dollars here and there, everyone. We'll make it happen.
0: All right. Well, sweet. Um... I'll just say thank you to our uh, to the people who listen to us on our at, on our audible type services which would be like podcast, Spotify, uh, Podbean, iHeartRadio. Uh you guys are you guys are amazing. I mean, I know I've been sick the last couple like the week uh the last like 2 weeks ago and I hadn't done a very good job of like uploading the audible type of uh, uh episodes here and uh, I think one week I was at my parents' house and I had like terrible like uh, internet service for really like three weeks of like uh, of our show never made it onto the audible service and you guys have been you guys have been great you guys uh, kept us like pretty much up to par where we were from the month before so I greatly appreciate all of you listeners out there doing that uh, for those of you who do watch us on uh, on YouTube and Rumble uh, thank you once again for being great viewers and watching our show you guys you guys have kept our numbers up on that as well. Uh, please as uh, Jesse said um, leave us a comment. I know there's one of you guys out there who've been leaving comments on the last couple of our episodes so we do greatly appreciate that and one of us do one of us usually tries to at least comment back if not both of us and uh, so we do greatly do we do greatly appreciate that um, and uh, we hopefully uh, you guys will come back next week and uh, and watch us uh, for our next episode talking about Blade Runner. And once again, if you do look down below in our comments, the very first uh, link there, which talks about uh, Bean patrons, that's where you can go ahead and donate to us. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can email us, and we can tell you how to do that as well. Uh, thanks again, everyone. Hope you guys have a great night and a great week. And
1: Two, two things. Okay. One, we got six weeks, August 5th, Bullet Train we can probably make that happen. You can probably make that one happen. I'll, I'm going to go with an HP Lovecraft version of 99 to 1. 99% chance we're going to make that happen. The second thing, watch for an upcoming episodes, the next version, the next scene from Scotch Hour Fake News where we've got the the new version of Sean from the dead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, sounds good. Catch me Cheers. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Scotch Hour. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a patron member with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you, and hopefully you have a wonderful evening.